It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. What's going on, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. James, also back from his vacation, ready for training camp as he and the Bengals and the rookies and everybody goes into the unknown that is really the next week or two while the NFL tries to figure out their remainder of the offseason program as they try to gear up for a regular season that is really just over a month and a half away. So we'll start with some news notes around the Bengals. Some of the rookies that haven't signed yet, we get some hints from Jeff Hobson about what's going on there. And then if you've been listening to the show this week, you know that we've been going back and forth, whether James and I are recording together or not, on what you should expect from A.J. Green. We will finish that conversation up today, hopefully for the last time, for a while anyway. (laughs) And then Brandon Thorne, an offensive line expert who's been on the podcast before, who currently writes mostly for Establish the Run and does video for the Scout Academy, has done his offensive line rankings. And uh, let's just say things don't look so good in his tier list across positions for the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll talk about that. And then finally, Mike Zimmer getting an extension up in Minnesota today. We'll take the third segment of the show to do a throwback Thursday kind of deal to a what if the Bengals had made Mike Zimmer their head coach back when that was a possibility. But first, let's catch you up on the latest news for the Bengals and around the NFL. James, there was a lot of fuss yesterday about where's Joe Burrow's contract? Where is T. Higgins' contract? Jeff Hobson says, no need to worry. Things are going according to plan. That should be coming soon. And that's exactly what I expect. I'm not alarmed by this or worried about this at all. Look, the the reality is is that there's going to be little details that the Bengals and Joe Burrow's agent and, and Burrow need to iron out. But it's not just Joe. You know, there are a lot of draft picks across the NFL that still haven't signed their deals. I was uh, quite surprised in a good way to see that they got four of their seven draft picks done on Tuesday. So uh, I, I think they're ahead of schedule a bit. They certainly have time. And I would not be shocked that all of all seven draft picks are done by the end of this week. I think that's a realistic expectation. If that doesn't happen, certainly not the end of the world. Uh, but, but it seems realistic that, that the number one pick and the rest of the 2020 draft class could be signed by the end of this week by the Bengals. Sounds like it's kind of an any minute now kind of situation, like I said before. And for some other players on the other end of the spectrum, the undrafted free agents, the guys at the end of the roster, tough break this week as the NFL announces a roster cap at 80 players. The Bengals currently have 83 guys 
on the roster, which means some of these players, and this is going to be true across the league, are going to have to be cut before they even get to step on a field and show what they've got. There's actually a quote in a Bengals.com piece today highlighting undrafted free agent Scotty Washington, where Andrew Johnson, the Bengals East Coast scout, said, you can't evaluate during OTAs and preseason games, so you have to go with what you've got, and that means traits and upside. So instead of any on-field productivity, this Bengals front office, this Bengals coaching staff has to start making decisions based on their initial scouting reports, based on players, as Johnson said, traits and upside. And I think that's part of the reason why the Bengals roster is only at 83, right? They, they have a bunch of spots that they could have filled um, with other college free agents or potential veteran veterans that are looking for minimum deals and just trying to compete for a job. And instead of doing that, uh, they kept it at 83. And, and you're right, it is going to be really hard. And I think it's going to be a challenge for this coaching staff to evaluate guys without them playing under the lights. Even if it's a preseason game, you see how guys react to warmups, how they get ready, how th- their preparation, and then how they perform. And instead now you're going to have to evaluate, and this doesn't just go for the Bengals, it goes for every NFL team, but you're going to have to make big time decisions, uh, guys that impact special teams, backups, depth, which depth is more important this year than ever. Maybe in NFL history, depth is more important because of COVID-19. You're going to have to make crucial decisions. And and I think that's going to be a challenge for the Bengals and the rest of the NFL. And it really comes into focus when you look at the NFLPA tweet today that shows that 32 NFL teams, all 32 of them have put their infectious disease emergency response plans in for approval. Eight of those teams are already done. The Bengals amongst the teams that have them in and currently are under review, so not approved yet. But that just brings into focus for me what exactly it is that the NFL is going through right now, trying to keep players safe. And that also plays into this extended ramp-up period that might lead to only eight padded practices before the first regular season game. Eight padded practices for rookies, for first-time head coaches coming into the league with new teams to get their teams ready for a game that counts. That is not much time to get ready. Not at all. And look, the the argument could be made, oh, well, in college, they don't have preseason, but their training camp is much, much tougher in college football. They have a spring game there. And college football usually starts with a soft schedule. You know, a lot of these big 10, you know, SEC schools, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, they start out with easy opponents and you can't do that in the NFL. And, And so I would be surprised if it's only eight padded practices. These guys need to go live. We touched on it a little bit earlier in the week, Jake, and and it's, it's really important, not only for Joe Burrow, but it's important for the offensive linemen. It's important for uh, the the linebackers to make hits, make tackles, um, get, get beat off the edge, right? Whether you're Bobby Hart or one of these guys and be able to adjust to it. So I I would be shocked if it's only eight padded practices. I, I think the players need more, and I'm really surprised that that's what the NFLPA is telling players now, because I think it should be more than that. Even if it's not eight padded practices, I bet you the ceiling is somewhere around 12. I don't think they're going to do more than three weeks. So either way, it's not going to be a ton. This is the direction the NFL has been going for a while, cutting down on full contact in the preseason, even cutting down on full contact in regular season weeks. The amount of hours that they're allowed to go full on with full pads 
has been going down, I think, for a while. And and so this kind of is the culmination thereof. But I, I do think that the idea of eight full padded, full contact practices before the regular season with no preseason games at all is uh, a pretty radical departure from from what NFL teams are used to in terms of decision-making, especially for some of those fringe fringe roster guys. Coming up next, we wrap up our A.J. Green discussion. I hope, I really hope. I'm sick of going back and forth on this one, James. And, uh, and then sick we... Um, it's not like it's it's not a debate. It's like I don't I don't actually. It's, so my mentality You're so zen. is different. You're so it's, zen, Jake. It's because I'm a yoga teacher, bro. Anyway, uh, we also have some offensive line tiers from Brandon Thorne to talk about, and it doesn't look good for the Bengals. And then finally, we're going to wrap up with our what if throwback Thursday. Mike Zimmer signing an extension in Minnesota. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Let's keep things rolling here on Locked on Bengals and spend two minutes. This is all we're going to do because you've heard me rant about A.J. Green. You've heard Jake discuss this topic. Obviously, we disagree, and here's the difference. Obviously, Jake is right. I'll concede you're right because anything is possible. That's kind of the logic I think you're going. Any, of course, he could go for 1,200 yards or 400 yards or 800 yards. And injuries and age and things point to maybe 800 yards or less. So I understand that. I also think if the Bengals thought that he was going to be an 800-yard player, they wouldn't have franchise tagged him because he wouldn't have been worth it. And that's that's what I come back to. And so call me crazy for believing in A.J. Green still and thinking he could still be elite. But I will be and gladly accept being on the wrong side of history if he fails to perform this year. And obviously he has to stay healthy. But if he stays healthy, I still think he's going to be one of the top receivers in the game. I just want to point out that the Bengals paid Bobby Hart like $7 million to be a starting right tackle. So I don't think what the Bengals pay a player is necessarily predictive of that player's value. They think Uh, Bobby Hart's pretty good. And he's not. So that's what uh, they think. So, So I expect Hart to be good. Oh boy. You don't expect, you, you don't expect, th- that doesn't mean he's going to under deliver. I know he's probably going to under deliver, but my expectation for the Bengals starting right tackle, if you're making 7 million, is that you should be a competent player. Okay. So it should be is different from what a fan. And Bobby is Hart is an AJ Green. Let's not get into Bobby Hart. It is not I'm AJ. not. You, you got into it. I'm just saying that the <laughs> money you pay a player is not predictive of what that player's productivity will be because teams get this wrong all the time. So here's the thing. I'm not saying anything's possible. I'm saying that if there, I'm saying that there are factors that contribute to the decline of even great players and AJ green has some of those factors in play. That's all I'm saying. 
age, well, yeah. injury, new offense, weird offseason, all are things that could lead to him not being a 1,200-yard, 10-touchdown player. New That's offense. All. It's not going to be much different than last year's offense. He, he was there. last year's offense. Yeah, he was I mean, there. Sure, but he didn't participate. That's fine, but I mean, he was there. I don't think that's a, a big deal. I, it, Regardless, I told James, here, here's the thing, is that I, I don't disagree with, with what you're getting at. I'm just saying that there, there are factors in play that people need to consider. If you, if you go out there thinking if A.J. Green does anything less than 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns, it's a disappointment. There are reasons to think that might not happen, and he could still be a very good player if that doesn't happen. He's still a very important, valuable player, even if that doesn't happen. I think under a thousand yards would be a disappointment. Sure, twelve hundred maybe push it because there's been years where he's been really good, and because of quarterback play or other reasons, he didn't hit the twelve hundred yard mark. You know, but it, Tyler Boyd's had back to back one thousand yard seasons. Last year, he had Ryan Finley for three games. If, if okay. he's healthy, yeah. If he's healthy and if he's playing the whole season, then he should probably be a 1,000-yard receiver in this offense. Sure. I agree with that. Gotcha. All right. So we, I think that's it. I think we've, uh, we've sort of settled the A.J. Green debate. Here's the fun part is as the season goes on, assuming we have a season, we can revisit this and see how he's doing and see how it meshes. Who knows? Maybe. Well, this is why I don't ahead. make predictions. Because, because well, you can't like, be wrong here. I agree. It's it's a smart take. You're on the smart side. Well, you really but, can't be wrong. Anything that happens, you're going to be semi right. Well, well, right. But but why would you why would you even put yourself in a position where you could just be flat out wrong? Like, you you know what I'm saying? Like, I I think that acknowledging a most likely range of outcomes for AJ Green is like 800 to 1100 yards if he's healthy. But the thing is, you can't. There, there's no way to quantify the chance of him staying healthy. So that's why it becomes so hard, right? And when you start putting if he's healthy into anything, well, that, then you're not really making a prediction anyway. That's fair to a degree. I, I would be shocked, and we can save this, shocked at floored if he's healthy for, and I get, I just prefaced it with that, for 13 games. I'm not even saying 16, 13 games if he didn't crack the 1,000-yard the mark. Like I think he's going to be really good this year still. We'll see. We'll see. It's been a weird offseason. He hasn't been on the field in 18 months in a real NFL game. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I should make more predictions. Maybe there's some more value there. But uh, to me, it, it's not uh, – I mean, it's a fantasy football kind of thing. And I, I guess I'm just not a fantasy football kind of guy anymore. Brandon Thorne has done some work on the offensive line. So that's an abrupt shift. We're going away he, from AJ Here comes Green. the Bobby Hart talk. Oh, that's man, exactly I'm, right. See, that's I'm why so we excited. teased Bobby Hart four minutes ago. Oh, here yeah. we go. It's all coming together. The the <laughs> tease the tease is coming together. So Brandon Thorne put out his offensive line tiers over on EstablishTheRun.com. He's got his offensive line and defensive line rankings. But on Twitter today, he put out his tiers for every individual offensive line group. He has defined the tiers in six categories. Tier one is elite. Tier two is very good. Tier three is good above average. Tier four is solid or average. Tier five is adequate. And tier six is marginal. So very uh, generous tiers to begin with, I think. He's not calling anybody poor. The, the worst tier is marginal, which, I mean, isn't good. 
You know, you don't want to be a marginal player. Uh, and the Bengals' offensive line, according to Brandon Thorne, who is a very, very good eye for talent on offensive line, he watched film on all these players. The Bengals have three of their five starting offensive linemen in the marginal sixth tier. And one of them, the Bengals' right tackle Bobby Hart, who is currently penciled in as a starter, who well faced competition from Fred Johnson in camp, is the only right tackle in the sixth tier. There are only two tiers, I think, in all of Brandon Thorne's tier list that contain only one player. One of them is Zach Martin in tier one all by himself, and the other one is Bobby Hart in tier six all by himself. Also in tier six, Xavier Suofilo, who's near the top of tier six, to his credit. Michael Jordan in the middle of tier six. And uh, then there's Trey Hopkins in the middle of tier five. Jonah Williams not on the list because rookies, which he hasn't played in the NFL, uh, are not on the tier list. Man, it's you want to talk about debates. I would love for every analyst to be able to debate the Bengals coaching staff in front office because they're in one corner of how this offensive line is going to perform. And I mean, the coaches in the front office and literally everybody else is on the other side of it. And I know we had our debate about A.J. Green, but we semi-agree. No one agrees that Bobby Hart can be competent. Like, no one expects that based on his his past play. And he's 25, 26 years old. We've seen him multiple years. I don't know how he's going to get any better. They praise his intelligence. I'm not shocked at all that he's in Tier 6, as you laugh. I'm not shocked at all that Xavier Suofilo, a guy who, and I'll say it, has been a bust He was a bust in Houston. He was the 33rd overall pick in the 2014 NFL draft. He didn't get a second contract, couldn't start for Dallas in two years on the team. And now he comes here and they love him. They love his size. They think he's going to be good against the, or or in the run game. Who knows? They also think Michael Jordan's going to explode. Like they, they think that all these things are going to happen. And I just don't know how, especially because you just talked about it last segment, eight padded practices, Michael Jordan's going to be ready to go after eight padded practices. What what about Jonah Williams after not playing at all last season? So there's a lot of question marks here. I'm glad Brandon pointed this out. And look, I'm not going to pretend that I'm some offensive line expert. But the the last time the Bengals were good, their offensive line was good. In the past four years, which have been four losing seasons, their offensive line has been bad. Were there other contributing factors? Absolutely. But that's there's certainly a correlation between their play in the trenches and how bad it's been and what their record has been over the past four seasons. Absolutely. There's there's no doubting that. There's a different quarterback in town now. Maybe that changes things a little bit. Maybe Joe Burrow can thrive the way Russell Wilson thrives behind essentially a non-existent offensive line because the offensive line in Seattle is pretty bad too. Or at least it has been. There is just such a stark difference between the way the Bengals see their offensive line and the way that literally everyone else in the world sees their offensive line. And some people in my mentions today when I talked about Brandon's tier list were telling me, hey, Michael Jordan's got a ton of promise. And and I think Brandon Thorne would agree. He, he could go up this tier list this year if he has a good year. Billy Price is a guy who could show up in tier four next year. He was mm-hmm. a first-round pick. He's finally healthy. Xavier Suofilo, you know, he he was fine as a reserve, 
Bobby Hart is a guy, and I've talked to Ryan Coyle about this, Royal Redlegs on Twitter, who has been on this show before to talk about offensive line. Bobby Hart, from a pure football perspective, is a fine offensive lineman to have as your backup, to be your swing tackle. But when you start asking these guys like Xavier Suofilo and Bobby Hart to start, and you start asking guys that are projections that need to develop, that have traits but haven't put it together, like Michael Jordan, maybe Jonah Williams, although he's more of a technician than a traits guy, then you start to see, okay, this is the this is the gap. You're relying on these guys to hit their ceiling and their middle of the road, their most common outcome isn't close to that ceiling. And that's where you get the underperformance that leads to offensive line performances like we had last year. So hopefully we get Brandon Thorne on to talk about some of this in detail because I would love to get into some of the nitty gritty. And I know some of our listeners would too, but for now I just wanted to overview the tier list, James. Yeah. in two things. One, what about the depth? Like I'm, I'm really concerned about the depth on the offensive line because you could tell me Michael Jordan might work out, but what happens if Xavier, Xavier Suofilo is what they think he is and then he goes down and now Billy Price has to step up. Can Xavier Suofilo and, you know, all these guys aren't going to work out, I guess is my point. And injuries certainly play a factor. When it comes to right tackle, man, and I said this, I I think, a couple of weeks ago on here, but if you're just listening, Akeem Adenogy, let's give him a real shot at right tackle. Here's the problem with that. Right? Here's the problem. And we we talked about the depth and the, the preseason. How can he win that job? How can he realistically, with no preseason games, with potentially only eight padded practices, a bunch of walkthroughs, beat out two guys that have played well at the end of the last year, at the end of last year, according to the coaching staff. The coaching staff feels good about both Bobby Hart and Fred Johnson. How can a guy like Akima Denigi, a six round pick, as good as Jim Turner and as much as he's praised him, how can he win that job? I think it's honestly, I think it's next to impossible. And I think that stinks because of the three, I wouldn't be shocked at all. And this really is a says a lot about Bobby Hart and Fred Johnson, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if in a normal offseason and normal training camp preseason setting, if Adenogy ended up winning that starting job. It would be one of the first times, I think, in recent history anyway, for the Bengals to have a sixth-round offensive lineman starting over veterans, which I think says a lot. I mean, but the veterans, it's not like they have shining pedigrees either. You could talk about right tackle for a long time. Last note on this, James, before we get into the Mike Zimmer, what if, as he is in line for an extension in Minnesota, is I did hear Ryan Coyle and Waldo Roran, to people that I trust on Twitter, that Hakeem Adenogy is working with Duke Manyweather. He's training with Duke Manyweather, who has trained a lot of pretty good offensive linemen in the NFL. So as he's transitioning from Kansas, a place where offensive line is certainly not known as a strength to the NFL in a much higher tier of competition than the big 12. At least he's working with a guy who has a good reputation for turning out good offensive linemen. So if there's a reason you're looking for to be hopeful for a Denogy, well, I think that is the brightest reason coming up next. What if Mike Zimmer took over for Marvin Lewis seven years ago? We talk about that scenario on throwback Thursday in segment number three. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found 
Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Let's roll with throwback Thursday here on locked on Bengals and Mike Zimmer close to finalizing a multi-year extension with the Minnesota Vikings. And I think this is one of the many what ifs in Bengals history, Jake, and certainly the Marvin Lewis era, as long as it lasted from 2003 to 2018, at the end of the 2018 season. What if Mike Zimmer had taken over the Bengals in, say, 2013 or 2012 and gotten A.J. Green and Andy Dalton and that defense in its prime, what might have happened? And I look at what he's done in Minnesota He's won two playoff games. He's two and three in the postseason, which is obviously a big fly in the ointment and a, a big knock on Marvin Lewis during his run in Cincinnati. He's 57-38-1 as a head coach uh, with the Vikings. And so it's one of those things where, look, I, I get it. Minnesota's been good in a lot of areas uh, and been better than the Bengals in a lot of areas. But he's, he's done this with Case Keenum, Kirk Cousins, Teddy Bridgewater, not elite quarterbacks. And I couldn't help but wonder what if. What if that, that would happen? Would the Bengals have won a playoff game? Would they be in a different position than they are now, which is considered the fourth best team in the AFC North? I think there's there's a lot to wonder when it comes to, to Mike Zimmer and his departure from the Cincinnati Bengals. Just listen to these defensive ranks from, from Mike Zimmer's time in Cincinnati from 2009 on. So he took over a defense that was pretty bad, comes in 2008 to Cincinnati has the 12th defense by yards, 19th defense by points allowed in the next year, fourth and sixth respectively. And then he has a blip on the radar in 2010, but from 2011 to 2013 in Cincinnati, those ranks are seven and nine. So yards and points, seventh and yards, ninth and points, sixth and eighth and third and fifth. That is four out of five years with a top eight ish defense. That's a really good track record. He goes to Minnesota, takes over a defense that was near the bottom of the barrel in the NFL, takes a lot of the same players, puts in his culture, his system. Minnesota jumps up to the 11th best scoring defense in the NFL in 2014. In 2015, that goes up to fifth. In 2016, the yard defense goes to third. Third in yards allowed, six in points allowed. In 2017, first in yards allowed, first in points allowed. 2018, fourth and ninth, 2019, 14th and fifth. I mean, you talk about consistency on the defensive side of the football for a decade. That's Mike Zimmer. You talk about a guy who's gone into Minnesota, has one losing season, seven and nine, his first year in Minnesota. Since then, 11 and five, eight and eight, 13 and three, eight and seven, 10 and six. How'd the Bengals do those years? <laughs> They had a couple yeah, it, of years there at the beginning that were okay, but but not so much since then. Exactly. You know, and, and you just, from the, a discipline standpoint, 
it, it, you you wonder if he could have came in in 2014 and gotten the most out of this roster and maximized it. So in 2015, when they happened to stay healthy and they were the healthiest team in the NFL, they start eight and zero. They hit a little bit of you know a little bit of um, adversity, and instead of bending and breaking eventually and ultimately in that Steelers game. I wonder if they would have kept their composure. Maybe not. Maybe it still melts down the same way. Maybe they still pick Cedric Abwehi and Jake Fisher and let Andrew Whitworth walk. And all these things happen. All that could have happened. But maybe not. Maybe history changes a bit. And, and it is. it really is one of those what ifs. Because of the discipline, because of how long Marvin Lewis was in Cincinnati. And it just it's a shame we don't get the answer to that question. But that's... That's part of it, right, is, is you don't get that. And here's the other thing. In, if in five years Joe Burrow works out and the Bengals have won 12 games back-to-back years and they're the one of the best teams in the AFC, then it would have been all worth it because Andy Dalton was never going to be that top-tier quarterback. Uh, the Bengals needed uh, that, and that could ultimately derail Mike Zimmer's chance at a Super Bowl in Minnesota. I couldn't believe they signed Kirk Cousins to that long-term deal. And one more side note here, and this relates to the current roster, I do think it's pretty telling. You listed all those stats on defense that Mike Zimmer has done, and obviously in Minnesota and then his time as a defensive coordinator in Cincinnati, pretty telling that he lets Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander walk. I'm not saying that they're not going to be good, but if Mike Zimmer doesn't keep either one around, and I get it, there was cap issues with Minnesota, so it could be as simple as a numbers game. But that makes me question it a little bit. It doesn't mean they're not going to be good. And obviously the McKenzie Alexander value, one year, $4 million, there's no risk there. But it, it is worth mentioning, if Mike Zimmer lets a couple corners walk, uh, it makes you wonder a little bit because of how talented he is. Here's, here's the thing about Mike Zimmer in secondaries is that he's a witch. And it uh, doesn't matter who you put back there at corner, who you put back there at safety, you're going to get very good corner play and very good safety play at a minimum for Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer is a secondary voodoo witch or warlock <laughs> or whatever, if that's still a gendered term. I don't really know. But, I mean, the strength of his defense is going back to 2009, his first year in Cincinnati, is that they can defend the pass, period. And, you know, you saw him get great play out of Adam Jones. You saw, you know, guys that are are reclamation projects. Terrence Newman playing until he's like 57 years old under Mike Zimmer, who, by the way, is going into his age 64 season. Terrence Newman, (laughs) not not actually 57, of course. But, I mean, he's in his 40s and he's still playing corner in the NFL. Or maybe he's retired now, finally. But he sure did make it a long time and was still playing at a pretty good level under Zimmer. Who else is getting that out of Terrence Newman, Adam Jones at that point in his career? Who else is who else is coaching that Minnesota secondary led by Harrison Smith to, and, and Anderson Sandejo or whoever else? Who's back there now? Anthony Harris? I mean, consistently Harris. great players in the secondary. So yeah, I mean, Trey Wayne's out the door, Mackenzie Alexander out the door. I don't think Mike Zimmer cares. I, I, I honestly don't think it matters all that much who he has in the secondary because they're going to be so disciplined and he's going to get the most out of whoever those guys are. Now for the Bengals, what does that mean for Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Wayne's coming into Cincinnati? That is a little scary, right? Cause they don't have mm-hmm. the best secondary coach in the NFL on their side anymore. 
That doesn't mean they won't succeed in Cincinnati, but you, you do wonder a little bit, kind of like you wonder about offensive linemen when they leave New England, how it will pan out. And we will never know how it would have panned out if Mike Zimmer had been the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals going back to 2013-2014 when he left for Minnesota. But I do know this, Cincinnati fans that knew his time with the Bengals continue to love him even though he's now coaching the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that I speak for all Bengals fans in congratulating Mike Zimmer on this multi-year extension that he's soon to reach with the Minnesota Vikings. That's going to do it for this episode, Bengals fans. We're working on getting Brandon Thorne on the podcast for tomorrow, so that might happen. But if it doesn't, he has a baby due this weekend, so that is in the air a little bit. We might have our regularly scheduled mailbag tomorrow, and we might hear a little bit more about some contracts. So until then, day, and have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.